We are in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. But let's uh, give us a running start into John chapter 10. So I'm going to back up to verse 35 of chapter 9 and just kind of run through it. Jesus heard that they had driven him, the man born blind, out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And of course, we kind of dealt with that one for quite a while. The weirdness and the, the strangeness of it, the concept, of course, being that those who recognize they are spiritually blind, recognize they cannot see things truly as they are, will be given sight because of their faith in Jesus, whereas those who claim to have spiritual sight and yet deny Jesus' identity as the Messiah, they will actually be found to be blind, spiritually blind. They may claim to have sight, but in truth they are blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, don't call me Shirley, no. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. If you had recognized that you were blind, spiritually blind, and be open and receptive to hearing me and to receiving me, well, then you wouldn't have to worry about it. But now that you say we see, you claim to have spiritual sight, you can't hide behind ignorance. You can't hide behind the fact that you haven't heard it because you have heard me and you have rejected me and therefore your sin remains because you have denied me. Now that's an extended interpretation of what he says, but it does flow and work with what he has said. So here we have the man born blind. It's a, it's a physical healing of a man who was born without sight. But then John takes the story and provides it with an interpretive spin, which moves it into a metaphor for all people. The man born blind is like all of us. We are all born spiritually blind. And Jesus is, has come to bring us sight. Those who claim they already have sight and deny him they prove they're actually as blind as can possibly be and they're guilty of their sin. But those who acknowledge that they're blind and then receive spiritual sight and, and have faith in Jesus, they have sight. And that is what we're all called to have. Now this is part of the dialogue that occurs during the Feast of the Tabernacles which is in September, late September, early October of the year. We're going to keep moving here and we'll discover there's an interesting chronological leap from September, October to December. And you'll pick up on that after we've been several verses into chapter 10. Okay, so let's just keep going. Very truly I tell you, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. 
The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus said this figure of speech, uh, used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Well, it's kind of like an allegorical parable in many ways. He uses some imagery here that the people in that era and even those who are fairly urbanized still would understand the idea of sheep and a gate and a shepherd and bandits who come to steal and, 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 and the, the sheep. And that if you're not the shepherd, the sheep don't recognize your voice. But if you are the shepherd, they do recognize the voice. This is imagery they would be familiar with from their own everyday settings in many cases. If they themselves aren't shepherds, they know shepherds. They know about this. Let's, let's take a look at this interpretation that Jesus provides for it. So again, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Well, that's a, something of surprise. I'm the door. I'm the gate. We expect I'm the shepherd. Yeah. We first get I'm the gate. Hmm. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits. Now, just mark that. that. This is extremely important, and I'll explain why in just a moment. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. And then he repeats the statement, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. A very famous statement, by the way, this section, especially his interpretive understanding of the parable is, 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 is very famous. But it makes sense. He's the doorway to God. See, that is... That is half of it. He's the doorway to God. There are some who come who are thieves and bandits. <coughs> they come to steal and kill and destroy. I'm not them, he's essentially saying. I am the door. I am the pathway. If you enter through me and come out through me, you'll be safe. He's not done. <laughs> He's identified himself as the gate. Now he switches his metaphors. The allegory actually shifts, and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the good shepherd imagery is one that we know also from the synoptics, and we're going to hear it also later on in John. This imagery is actually the more powerful of the two images, by the way. 
the, the gate, the door image is important, but the good shepherd one is more powerful. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Notice it's almost the same exact construction. I am the gate. Some explanation. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. Some explanation about the bad guys. And then I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So let's stop right there. Huh? No, we mean that last I statement. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I mean it. Just as I belong to the Father, so also you belong to me. The sheep belong to the Good Shepherd. And there's a close connection in there. Oh, okay. There's a very close connection in there. It's an intimate relationship, not a distant one. Just as I'm not a hired hand, I am the good shepherd. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to be here for you. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Hired hands don't do that. They run away when the wolf comes. The good shepherd stays and fights for his sheep. Well, it's the same as a parent-child relationship or... And which a is the father-son imagery here. A business owner. I mean, if you own that business, you're going to do whatever you have to do. Invest to yourself deeply in yeah. it. Where a, just somebody that's hired isn't going to do that. Mm -hmm. Just like a, a hired nanny may not be as apt Invested to protect the, the child as the parent is yep. to pull that imagery. Now, there is a context in which this is occurring. The context, we're going to see it when we get down to uh, verse 22, and I'll, I'll just point it out now. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. It's oh. the killing of the sheep? No. It's the it is the festival of the dedication, which occurs in December, and which we probably know more frequently call Hanukkah. Now, what is Hanukkah? It's not an Old Testament feast. Hanukkah is something that developed in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you see a reference to it and to the dedication of Feast of Dedication in 1 Maccabees, which is in the Apocrypha. 1 Maccabees, chapter 4, beginning at verse 52 and running through verse 59. And I'll just read it to you. Early in the morning on the 25th day of the ninth month, which is the month of Chislev, in the 148th year, or the year 164 BC, 164 BC, they rose and offered sacrifice as the law directs on the new altar of burnt offerings that they had built. At the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles the Syrians under Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the Greek-born uh, general who succeeded Alexander the Great's power in Damascus, Syria, after Alexander the Great died. 
Antiochus Epiphanes rose to power, took over a portion of Alexander the Great's empire, and then he launched an attack on Judea and took Judea and took the Temple Mount and put altars to pagan gods, including the, the Syrian version of Zeus, in the temple and tore down the, the altars to Yahweh. So that's what this is a response to. At the very season and on the very day that the Gentiles had profaned it, it was dedicated with songs and harps and lutes and cymbals. All the people fell on their faces, faces and worshipped and blessed heaven who had prospered them. So they celebrated the dedication of the altar for eight days and joyfully burnt, offered burnt offerings. They offered a sacrifice of well-being and a thanksgiving offering. They decorated the front of the temple with golden crowns and small shields. They restored the gates and the chambers for the priests and fitted them with doors. There was very great joy among the people and the disgrace brought by the Gentiles was removed. Then Judas, that's Judas Maccabeus, Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at the season, the days of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month of Chislev. Judas said, according to the note in my Bible, Judas set the rededication of the temple exactly three years after its pollution and three and a half years after Antiochus' capture of Jerusalem. The Hanukkah festival, celebrated for eight days, like Hezekiah's reconsecration, commemorates this event. So this is the celebration that we know of as Hanukkah today, in which they celebrated, according to 1 Maccabees, the rededication of the temple following its desecration and recovery after the rebellion of Judas Maccabeus against Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus had come down, he was a Syrian general, uh, had, had succeeded Alexander the Great in the Syrian section of his empire when Alexander the Great died, and he came in and took Jerusalem and desecrated the temple, and that was three and a half years before then the rebellion occurred and they took back Jerusalem and the Jews reconsecrated it. Now, in conjunction with that, in the synagogue, just as the Christians have a lectionary reading for every Sunday of the year, so also the Jews have a lectionary that they follow of the Torah and of the writings and of the prophets. And their assigned reading for the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah for the first day of it is Ezekiel chapter 34. Four. And just listen to this. The word of the Lord came to me. Mortal prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. You have not sought the lost. 
but with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and scattered they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them. You hear the echo that Jesus's allegory and parable is drawing from. It's clear. It's too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence. It's too much of a, of a, of a factor. Uh, while, the, while the lectionary, we don't know that the lectionary actually went back to the first century. It was in use by the second, and that lectionary assigns this reading for them. But it seems probable that it was, at least many of these readings were being read at Hanukkah. And it was read for a specific reason because this passage is taken and used to interpret what the rulers of Judea did when Antiochus came down and took Jerusalem. Rather than fighting, they capitulated. They cooperated with Antiochus. They let him set up the altars to the pagan gods in the temple. They let him get away with all of this. They let the people be scattered. They allowed all this to happen because they were concerned about themselves. They were concerned about enriching themselves. That's described throughout 1 Maccabees, that they, they were essentially complicit with it. So when Judas Maccabeus rises up and overthrows Antiochus' uh, occupation and drives them out, they say these shepherds who should have been shepherding were more like hired hands, not true shepherds. Jesus is likening the current temple rulership, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, to those who essentially allowed Antiochus to come in. He is saying, you're like hired hands. The chief priests, the elders of the people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are ruling today are like hired hands who will run away. They're like hired hands who won't protect the sheep. They're like hired hands who abuse the sheep. They're like thieves in the earlier image who will come in and steal rather than build up and feed. So it's not from insulting to inciting. <laughs> yes, he has in a sense. He is indicting. Yeah. He's indicting the leadership. But he's the given rulership. them the example of what the Max did. Mm -hmm. And they revolted. I believe that was violent. Yes. I believe they killed a bunch of people. Oh, yeah, sure. For, <laughs> for foreign occupiers. What, what's, what similar situation do we have here? The Romans. Exactly. The foreign occupiers. The Greco-Roman culture. One of the charges of the Essene community against the Jerusalem leadership was that the Jerusalem leadership was too invested in the Greco-Roman culture, the occupation of the Roman forces. They were adopting too many Greek practices, adorning their homes with, with, with murals and with, with um, all sorts of Greek uh, 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 art. They were, they were learning Greek uh, and, and speaking in Greek, and the Hellenization of Judaism, even in Judea, was considered a, a great sin. And the Essenes were very much against that. That's why they moved out 
and moved down to Qumran, and there were other groups that did very similar kinds of things. They moved out away from the centers of power because they thought that the leadership, the rulership, was capitulating too easy, just as the rulers who were present when Antiochus invaded capitulated too easily and cooperated too easily. Now, one thing the Romans didn't succeed in doing was in setting up great big altars to, uh, to pagan gods. Even trying to put up a, a statue to the emperor caused an absolute riot. So they, the, they kind of learned their lesson as the foreign invaders go, but they still tried. But um, the, the, the revolt against Antiochus was remembered. And, and how the Jewish leadership had been complicit was remembered. And Jesus is doing what many people were doing in that day, drawing a direct connection between the then leadership and the leadership of his day. Now, there's good reasons to believe that this is in part part of the earliest layers here in John. I read a theory that, uh, and I thought I read it in connection with the synoptics more than John, but that even the sequence of events sometimes that we have in, in, in the Gospels are related to this phenomenon where they would, they would read the Old Testament in, in a sequence and then somebody who was a, of the Jesus movement would stand up and say, in effect, you know, that reminds me of the time Jesus, you know. <laughs> and, they, and, and so they kind of drew these connections between the, the Old Testament and, and the it's, teachings of Jesus. It seems pretty likely that that's the kind of thing that even Paul was doing when he would be teaching in the synagogues, when they would have a reading from the prophets or whatever, from the Torah or from the writings, and then he would stand up and preach and he would say, Jesus did this, Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus was the one who did this. And it is, that is very similar. And, and, and it was not an uncommon practice to do that kind of, Jesus himself does it when, when he's in the, in the synagogue and he says, this day, this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing after reading portion of Isaiah. Jesus says it, or at least it's put back into his mouth. And here we have a very similar thing. Jesus takes what is essentially a very familiar Old Testament passage from one of the prophets from Ezekiel that the people knew very well and which was being read at that time of the year and takes the imagery from it and then applies it. And he applies it to himself and to the circumstances around there. And he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. All of the so-called leaders, they are thieves and bandits and robbers. They are hired hands who will run away at the least sign of danger. I will lay down my life for the sheep. They will run away. It is an incitement. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is an indictment. It is an insult. It is all of these things. And some people have rightly said that this is part of the things that Jesus did that resulted in, his, in John in his arrest and in his yeah. death. Yeah, the Romans are saying, well, go ahead and give up your life. Get this well, who, over. Who's he, who's he talking about exactly? Though? He's talking about Jewish authorities? I mean, again, John... Okay, John the various there. layers. It, he's talking in the... If this goes back to Jesus, and this part almost certainly does, then this is an incitement against the then Jewish leadership in general. Okay. That seems 
reasonable. It's certainly within the context of the period. It's not unlike things other people were doing in the, in the 30s, 40s period. Um, that's what the Essenes were doing. So you then have, well, what about John's interpretation of it? How does he pull it up to then his day? We're going to see that in just a moment when we read on. But it seems as though he's using this and applying this against any false leaders or false, false rulership, uh, especially against the Jews, <laughs> that same group who had thrown them out, who had, who had caused them to leave. And instead he is saying to them, look, don't worry about it. Not only do you hear me, you have sight, you have followed me, but there are other sheep too, and that's what we'll read next. So let's read this next, let's read what comes next. So looking back in chapter 10 of John, picking it up at, I'll pick it up at verse 13. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. <coughs> so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So who is the other sheep? Must be those dirty Gentiles. The, or the Gentiles who will listen. Exactly. The Gentiles who are the other flock who will hear my voice, who will listen to my voice, who will attend to my voice. So there will be one flock, not two. In other words, and this is how the, the, the generations closer to John, the author of the Gospels day, might receive this as, there are Jewish Christians and there are Gentile Christians, but they are one flock with one shepherd. The Gentile Christians have heard the voice of their shepherd and they heed it, they respond to it, just as the Jewish Christians have done. Sounds a little Pauline in here. Of course it's Pauline. Of course it's a Pauline approach. That's, 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 that sits behind. The Pauline Christian community sits behind the Johannine Christian community in many ways. It, many of the people in the Johannine Christian communities, many of them, come from the Pauline Christian communities in descendancy. For this reason, the Father loves me. Notice, no, let me pick it up at 16 again. I have other sheep that do, that do not belong to this fold, to the Jews. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Huh. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Not just because I lay down my life. Normally we think about... Jesus' death and resurrection is the resurrection following as the result of his death. But here it almost seems as though 
the death is the result of the resurrection in a backward kind of non-temporal sense. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. You can't be resurrected unless you're dead. Well, yeah, it's the condition precedent <laughs> to it. But, but it is the resurrection that is therefore the most important part. Seems like at the end. No one takes it from me, his life. But I lay it down on of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Which is interesting because in the synoptics and in the Pauline literature, elsewhere in the Bible you find it's said that uh, God the Father raises Jesus from the dead. Here, there's such a close connection between the Father and the Son that, that they seem to be identical in function. What the Father does, the Son does. The Son does what the Father does. And hence, it, it, it becomes a reflexive action. He does it. This, this would appeal to Gnostics later on. Uh, it appeals to Gnostics. It appeals to those who, who see a unity between the Son and the Father. They that almost deconstruct the economy of the Trinity where, where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are separate and yet the same. Uh, this lends itself that direction. Oh, yeah. Very much so. It, 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 it emphasize, and this is true throughout John's Gospel. John's Gospel emphasizes the deity of Christ over the humanity. Hence, it's always going to be a, a, a greater affinity for the Gentiles. I mean, for the Gnostics. Well, the Gentiles too. I mean, that's the yeah. same. But John's Gospel tends to have a greater affinity for Gnostics because the Christ that is presented in it is far more divine than human in many ways. Because yeah, he's not even, he doesn't even bother to say an aside here, this command I received from my father, so I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to be resurrected and, you know, mm -hmm. so that I can be resurrected. And there's no hesitation like a human would have in the, in the synoptics, for instance. I'm going to do it. Now, later on, there will be tears and, 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 and difficulty, but not here. Not here. That's interesting. It's just a matter of fact. It's a matter of fact. I'm going to do it. Yeah, this is what it is. I wonder about this. You know, I have other sheep. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's inserted as an afterthought. It know? is. Because it, otherwise it's, you know, I know my own and my own know me. And, and yeah, that would seem to be based on, on what you believe or bring to the table rather than who you were. But all of a sudden... Well, you know the voice. Otherwise, that makes it sound like that's the Jews, and, and then we got these other sheep that are not Jews. You know, that's, that's correct. Yeah. There are those who know his voice. Those are the ones we know about. It's the ones that we've heard about back in Ezekiel 34. It's, it's you guys. But there are some others. And this is a reference to the Gentiles who would come later. So that, that, that would support the notion that the core here is kind of very early when he was these words were authentic that he was talking to Jews. There is a great degree to which it can probably be asserted that at least the basics of the allegory and parable that we have in chapter 10 verses 1 down through 15 
you're dealing with stuff that is in the earliest layer, coming from probably an eyewitness, from John. And then you have this interpretive addition to reflect upon in Jesus' voice, to reflect upon the development, the fact that the church is no longer just made up of Jews. It's made up of Jews and Gentiles. Those who are always recognized as the sheep of God, the fold of God, and those who aren't. Well, and can it not be interpreted all are welcome? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is what, it's not just y'all, it's everybody. What John, what John is saying here, what Jesus is saying here in this is, my flock is not just limited to the Jewish people about whom we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. There, is other, there are other sheep. There are other sheep, and they also will listen to my voice, and they will come. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. And this is dealing with the fact that over a period of time, Christianity, the Christian movement, the Jesus movement, was divided not just amongst various groups within Judaism that were Jesus people, and not, but also between Gentile and Jewish. One of the divisions was you had some Christian groups that were Gentile Christian groups and some Christian groups that were Jewish Christian groups. We see that in Paul's letters. We know it from, from Galatians and from Thessalonians and from Corinthians that there were Jewish Christian and Gentile Christian churches. And they didn't necessarily get along very well. Because the Jewish Christians were saying, you Gentile Christians need to become Jews. Christianity is a sect or a denomination of Judaism. So if you know you need to be a Jew. Men get circumcised, women cook kosher, you know, become a good Jew. And they didn't have a problem with the Gentiles becoming Christians, they just needed to be Jews. And they solved it in the Acts of the Apostles, it talks about that they solved the problem by saying, look. Uh, when, when the Gentile Christians live amongst the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians should abide by the rules and regulations that were generally in place when all Gentiles live amongst Jews. Don't eat blatantly unkosher food, essentially. Don't eat meat with blood in it. Don't eat anything that is strangled. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, and that's, uh, that seems to be how they solved that problem. But there were still some Jewish Christians who believed that the, the Gentile Christians should become circumcised. Well, by the time we get to the 90s, when the Jews, Jewish Christians had been tossed out of Judaism altogether due to, due to the development within Judaism of, of, of the ascendancy of Pharisaic Judaism and the control of the synagogues pretty much coming into their hands, certainly by the 90s, uh, and, the, and the Jesus people in the Jewish communities being thrown out, Suddenly you have the question, well, what do you do? Well, we got the Jews and, and the Gentiles. They're both Christians now. And it is one flock. It is no longer even two communities. It's one flock and one shepherd. So it's a statement to the then situation of, look, as you said, all are welcome. It, it's not one of Jews and Gentiles. It's one of sheep who hear the voice. 
And is, is this idea of the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, is that kind of an old idea? Now that, yeah, that's the idea where, you, where the shepherd is out in the field and the sheep are there and, and the, the, the wolf comes and you fight the wolf uh, to, to save your sheep. That image is a very, it's an old biblical image from the Old Testament that Jesus has taken and adopted and applied here for himself. I lay down my life. I am the good shepherd. So I would rather die defending my sheep rather than run away as the hirelings did. Again, the Jews. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is out of his mind. Why listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Direct reference back to the opening of the uh, opening of the man who uh, was born blind, opening his eyes. Healing. Now we come to the setting. At that time, now that's important. At that time. Um, See, ours is different. What does yours say? It said then like, they can stretch it. Then came, uh, then came the feast of dedication. He didn't say it at that time. It's kind of like what came next is the feast of dedication. There was at then the dedication in Jerusalem. There was at then, at that moment, at that time, at that time and place. Aginata taute. There occurred or there was happening at that time the dedication in Jerusalem. So essentially it's an immediacy that everything that came before is actually part of this. And you'll see that because of what Jesus is getting ready to say. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter. So it's, you know, September, October for tabernacles. Then there's November, October, November, and then November, December. And we're now in mid-December at the time of Hanukkah. Okay. Uh, uh, time has passed. Well, two. remember, temporal it's issues. Telescoping. <laughs> this this has been an issue already. I mean, it wasn't before the tabernacles. We were back at Easter. I mean, at at at, at uh, Passover. So I mean, we've got it, it, it's this temporal issue has been a problem. It's continuing to be a problem. Well, not for the author. I mean, you don't care. The time isn't the issue. Although he does like to anchor certain events. There's a reason for anchoring this around, yeah. around uh, Hanukkah. And it's because of the imagery of the sheep. It was important to anchor the, 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 the healing of the man born blind to tabernacles because of the imagery there of God being our source of supply and the celebration of the gift of water. Okay, so these events are being tacked and anchored to these, 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 these events, these teachings and these healings are being tacked and anchored to these particular festivals because of what those festivals mean. Which could mean that within the early Christian communities, back in the Jewish Christian communities, when they would come up upon these particular festivals, a Jesus person would say, well, that's what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus did in this occasion, which is kind of what you were talking about. 
and then the sequencing, even though it may not have happened that way, historically, when the events occurred, that's how they get sequenced this way. And this is, I think it's even more true in John than it is in the synoptics that that's the case. Because John is thematically constructed. It's not temporally constructed. So is Mark and Matthew and Luke, but at least there they try to put together a, a temporal narrative that makes sense. This does not. All right. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. <laughs> we want to know. How many times does he have to tell? Yeah. yeah. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me. But you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. Well, I mean, you know, think about it. If you're my sheep, you'll hear my voice and you'll follow, you'll believe. Like, like the man born blind whom I healed, I gave sight and he believed. He heard my voice to begin with and believed and went and washed. And now he, he actually, you know, is an example of this. He's like one of the sheep. Well. If you were my sheep, you would believe, but you're not. Kind of circular, but when is that a problem or new in the whole issue? Exactly. Jesus answered, I have told you, uh, back in verse 25 again. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Wow. Which is a connection. All of this is, of course, connected to the preceding section here in the chapter. But it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a connection with the gate portion. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, my goodness, eternal <coughs> life. That's real abundance. Yeah. Um, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. All right, let's just hold it there for a moment. This portion, this section here from 22 down, has this further interpretation of the sheep issue, cast within the question of, well, tell us who you are. Tell us plainly. Does he tell them plainly? No. no. He doesn't say, I am the Messiah. Or does he? The question the was, shepherd. are you the Messiah or not? His answer shepherd. is, I am the shepherd, essentially. Mm -hmm. And his answer is, the Father and I are one. <laughs> okay, now the result of that will hold for a moment. Let's take a look. My sheep hear my voice, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. Right there you have the basis and the justification for the Baptist's understanding of eternal security or once saved, always saved, or the uh -huh. Calvinist understanding of the perseverance of the saints. Now, this is not the only justification for it, but it is certainly one of them, and one of the more important ones because it's in Jesus' own lips. How do you understand that? It says that no one will snatch them out of my hand. I have rescued them. I have saved them. They are mine. No one can steal them away from me. Does that mean that none of the sheep will ever go astray or wander off? Mm -hmm. No, of course not. We have plenty of imagery of the Good Shepherd going out to find mm -hmm. lost and strayed sheep. You got it made once he chooses you. You can make all the mistakes you want because. Well, that's how it's usually interpreted by uh -huh. our Baptist brothers uh -huh. and sisters. But that's not, that's not how the totality of it reads. It means what it says is that nothing will snatch them away. Nothing can reach into and pull you out of it. But sheep have a tendency to kind of wander off of their own accord in search of better or more interesting grass or more interesting water, or more interesting mates. Uh, you know, they just kind of have a habit of doing that. And I, I'm reminded of my dog, Dorcas, when she follows a scent trail. You can yell her name right in her ear and she won't hear you. She keeps on going, following that nose, following the scent trail. Doesn't matter what you say. And if, you're, if you have a leash on her, you better be willing to go with her because she is not going to pull aside. She's going to follow that scent trail no matter what. No matter what. Well, sheep can sometimes do that. So this says nothing can snatch them away from him, but it doesn't necessarily say, this is a response to the uh, Baptist and Calvinist polemic, doesn't necessarily say that sheep can't wander off. That's the purpose of the Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd goes off and finds those sheep, as we have in the other parables. I think my Baptist roommate in college would love that. <laughs> That's why he could go out and get drunk on Saturday because he was. Well, yeah, but if he goes out and gets drunk on Saturday and keeps on going out and getting drunk on Saturday and, and stops going to church and stops partaking yeah, in the but he goes to church Sunday. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know. drunk? <laughs> Hangover. I just want to say that I think I think John missed an opportunity here. He should have said, "The Father and I am one." So wouldn't that be? Am one? I am. Yeah. I am. I am it would be. I mean, you've got the "I am the gate" and "I am the good shepherd." Why not? "I am the Father." Yes. Why did he say that? He's unified. He comes awfully close to saying that. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I have received this commandment from my Father. All these images, all these references here are references to being close to the Father. He could very well have said, the Father and I are one, or the Father, I am the Father. But he doesn't say that. The Father I am. He doesn't actually say that. Oh my God! They're saying that. Yes. They're saying the the Greek is neuter, one thing, not one person. 
That's what they're trying to point out. I don't like that. Playing with words. Oh, the Father and I are together. Yeah. This what that would mean. Let me read it. Let me read it's it. Neuter, not Verse thirty. Person. Yes, sir. Ego kai hapater in esmen. Okay. Um, I and the Father are one, but the one there is in the neuter, not in the masculine, and can have an idiomatic meaning of together. We are at one with each other kind of <laughs> idea. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. I and the Father are together might actually be yeah. a more accurate re rendering of that. But still, listen to that. Ego kai hapater. I and the father. Ego, I, kai, and ha, the, pater, father. I and the father in esmen are one, or in one, literally in one. They call it one in the essence of nature. This is what they're trying to say. Uh, it says Isn't that or a unity or yeah. one essence. One essence or one essence. Or one uh, essence in, in, in one, literally. In one thing. In one place. But they are not identical in persons. One, in, in one. In one. In, together. Yeah. In one place. They're not identical. In they're two, two different two, entities but, that are the same. Two but together. Which is, which is the essence of Part, part of the essence of Trinitarian theology when exactly. it comes to the Father and the Son, and it's where we always get so confused. But that's putting a whole lot of value on uh, that, that one being neutered. Well, Esmen here, uh, in Esmen, in means in, in, it's often used to say we're together. The Jews' response to this is to try and stone him again. Yeah. If, if it's interpreted like he's saying, uh, "I and the Father are together," is that blasphemy? Or yeah, you, or you I and the Father are one is blasphemy. Well, that's definitely <laughs> blasphemy. Yeah. But being in that Big intimate time. of relationship with Yahweh is blasphemy because yeah. it's saying you have every authority to act with the authority of, of the Father of Yahweh. Let's read that part close. Uh, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. <laughs> the Jews took up stones again to stone him, and Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? <laughs> okay, why are you doing this? I've shown you lots of good works, and here you are getting ready to stone me. Why? And Jesus and the Jews answered, The Jews answered, It is not for a good work. But that we are going to stone for that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you thought for you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. Equal to God. With the authority of God. Kaihates su anthropus on poies seutan. Um, uh, Sayutam Theon, uh, the, you, though you are only a human, are making yourself equal to God. Hmm. Well, and that definitely would be blasphemy. <laughs> For Jew, especially. <laughs> uh, Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, 
Your law, not I noticed law. <laughs> your <laughs> law. That's an ad. now there are there are manuscripts that change that back to our law. By the way, our law is found in a few manuscripts. Uh, it's found in papyrus, a couple of early ones actually, papyrus 66 and, and papyrus 45 and Vaticanist Corrector's Note. But most of the manuscripts that are earliest are read this as your law, and it's more likely that that's what it is because it follows with everything else we've seen, this differentiation that John is trying to cast between Jesus and the Jews. And we've seen this already. Here it is again. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, quote, I said you are gods, unquote? If those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said I am God's son? What's, what's his reference there? I said you are God. Psalm 82, 6. Um, the two arguments. A, in the light of Psalm 82, 6, titles are important, are less important than realities. And B, Jesus works, authentic, works authenticate him, for they are the kind which God does. 80, 82, 6. Uh, I say you are God's children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. So you are God. Wow. Backing it up, ring verse 5. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say you are God's children of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like mortals and fall like any prince. Even though, yeah, then he's just reiterating it. If you're all sons of the Most High, then you must recognize me as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to believe that if those, if those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the Scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming because I said I am God's son? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Then they tried to arrest him again, but he escaped from their hands. He's an escape artist, yeah. isn't he? Uh, so here we have this interesting statement. If you're not going to believe in me, then believe the works that I do. Now that's a good start. And then if you believe the works that I do, then you'll come to believe in me. But, and know that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. He's giving them a, that's the easy way, though. We have to fade. They had miracles. And they weren't believing the miracles. If you believe in the miracles. They had these miracles, and they weren't believing him. Exactly. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe he was a magician. Well, that's what they were claiming. They were claiming he was doing all these things by the devil. And some of the people were saying, oh, no, that can't be the case. The devil wouldn't do this. 
Well, I want to know about this lapse from monotheism here that's back in the Psalms. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> well, God is in heaven talking to okay. the council of the gods? Well, it's probably reflective. <laughs> it's probably reflective of that council of God, the, the angelic host of heaven, the role that the angels have. And it's probably reflecting, it comes from an earlier period where the angelic host of heaven often were called gods or like gods. All right. And relative to human beings, that's exactly what they are. But, but they're not God-God. Well, here he's saying, even the scripture says that uh, you are gods, and then uh, I saying I'm the son of God. How can you possibly accuse me of blasphemy for doing that? He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier, and he remained there. Many came to him, and they were saying, John performed no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. He spent a long time in Jerusalem <laughs> after having not intended to go, then sneaking down there undercover during tabernacles. And then he just kind of hangs around for several months. Made it through three feet. Well, you know, the, I was just, I'm not knowledgeable enough to do it, but if you take this idea that some of these stories are being uh, arranged according to the Jewish calendar or the Jewish lectionary, it's exactly well, you right. start out with Genesis, mm -hmm. and then pretty soon after that, he's got Passover story, you know, and here we are at the tabernacles and then the dedication. We're all the way through to the, to the post post. Uh, biblical, the, the intertestamental period. We're all the way to Maccabees now. We are, you, you have put your finger right on it. John actually, in a sense, in a way, with a couple of loops, essentially follows the biblical sequence and the Jewish lectionary in a weird way, which I don't think is necessarily weird at all. I think that that actually identifies in many sense, in many respects, what we have in John. We have a thematic presentation based upon the feasts of the Jewish year of the teachings of Jesus in these long discourses that we've now finished. If I'm remembering correctly, and the signs that it works. Only half the people would be familiar that he's speaking to, would be familiar with the that this story is written for. That John's writing for would be their Gentiles. They don't know all these. Well, see, I think that's a big mistake. No, that is. A I, I think they, you know, they knew we're, of it. we're Judeo-Christian people, and we know the stories. I think they knew them a lot better than we do now. The only scripture they had was the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation. If they chose to believe that, no, not that, everything that's else they that had was to it. That was their Bible. that and the oral that tradition. By ninety A.D., by by the time John's Gospel was written. What you had was, you had the Septuagint, Greek Old Testament. You had the letters of Paul, probably just, just, just barely having been collected. And then certain regions of the church, certain churches had a gospel. Luke was in some areas, Mark was in some areas, Matthew was in the Jewish areas more than anything else. And then John is writing his gospel. The Greeks, the all Greeks, the, thought about the old or the, the Greek the, Christians. There you go. What the, about the, the other Greeks? Gentile 
Christians okay, are that's people not who have studied not, yeah. the, the Septuagint. They've studied the yeah, Hebrew absolutely. Bible. Absolutely, that I believe. But the Gentiles... Uh, well, that's the audience. Just Greek The, the audience is understand the Christians. Them as, as Greeks who wanted to be Jews, who studied to be Jews, who really wanted to be Originally. Jews, and they couldn't get there because of this, these barriers. And then Certain eventually it, it shifted. All they had to do was get circumcised. But they kept... But cook. They, <laughs> But they kept on with, with, with the Jewish stuff in the background. So that's why we have it now. We've got the Old Testament and now the New Testament. But they kept it. They're the ones that, that, yep. that got us the Old Testament because that is the foundation of Christianity is the Old Correct. Testament. Correct. Go back to Paul in the 50s A.D. when he would go out in, in Greece and in Asia Minor and he would preach. He would start in the synagogues. And when he would start in the synagogues, there would be Jews, Hellenistic Jews, and for the most part, and there would be Gentiles who are identified in Acts as God-fearers. And these are Gentiles who have studied the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. They have learned about Yahweh. They have learned all of the stuff in the Torah. They have studied the law, but they haven't been willing to go, pardon the pun, whole, or, or yeah. the imagery, whole hog, yeah. and give up what they have to give up in order to become Jews which is some skin and pain. food, you suffer the pain and everything else that goes with Blood. getting circumcised and following the dietary regulations. They haven't been willing to do that. But they're still hanging on, they're still studying it because the stories in the Old Testament are gripping them. The stories in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's not called the Old Testament because that's not what it is yet. The stories in the Hebrew Scriptures as translated into Greek fascinates them. So they're hanging on. And it's this group that becomes the earliest Gentile Christian community. This okay. group of God-fearing Gentiles who have studied the Hebrew faith have now left the synagogues with Paul to found churches in those areas. And that becomes the first Gentile Christian community. Yeah, so you're adding an adjective that he doesn't add, just kind of, when he says Jews, he really means Pharisaic Jews and the what Jews that don't believe What he means here is Jews who are not Christians, who oppose right. Jesus, who oppose the church later, and who persecuted the church and threw him out of the synagogue. And when he says Gentiles, he really means Christian Gentiles. He really means Christian Gentiles. Okay. Well, That's different. within this context, these sheep that hear yeah. his voice that he talked about earlier, those are the Gentiles who would become Christians. See, what Christians. I'm wondering about is there are other Jews that didn't know the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. Other Jews or other Gentiles? The other Gentiles. Right. Obviously, there had to be hundreds of thousands of not every Greek large percentage of the Gentile world looked upon Judaism with disdain exactly and all so what about, about these Judaism others was a few that's things. not who the others are the others are the are the descendants of the God fearers they're just they're people who brought Judaism with them as far as they could and then they they went Christian very good that is exactly what happened. And now I've got, yeah. and they've got these Jewish Christians now the rest of who've been thrown out of the synagogues who have now come in with them exclusively now and are having to live not with all the protections that their Jewish ancestry would have given them within the empire, but instead as Christians. And that has a point of conflict as well. Uh, you've got these two groups, and that's what's being said here. That you know we are one flock with one shepherd. 
no longer two. No longer Paul says you can now be children of Abraham. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's what you always wanted to be, but you couldn't do it because you wouldn't go all the way. You know, you wouldn't do it the the, uh, the pure Jewish way. But yeah. Now, now we are children of Abraham. They brought the the Jewish stuff, the Old Testament, with them. You know, that's as he said, that's all they had was, and that's why it kind of makes sense that John is kind of using the Old Testament to authenticate the stories of okay. Jesus. Yes. The sayings of Jesus and to expand on them. Using an Old Testament account like Ezekiel 34 to springboard into the story of I am the Good Shepherd. Because there is not, it, it is not inconceivable, in fact I think it's very likely, that that's exactly what Jesus did. And then expounding upon that and applying that to the situation in John's day when, when this gospel is being written. And applying that then even further to the, the circumstances that the church is encountering when they're being persecuted by the Roman authorities. You've got these Jews that used to be covered under the Jewish exemption, and you've got these Gentiles who used to get away with being covered by the exemption too because they would sometimes go to the synagogue. Well, not anymore. Well, he was basically doing nothing different than a sermon of today. Who? John? Yeah. The author? Oh, yeah. Because, I oh. mean, a sermon today. You're taking... In this and you're and, and, and you're applying it to what's going on in our world now. What you just did is you exactly described how John was written. John is essentially a collection of sermons. Sermons based on the teachings of Jesus that are then expounded upon, amplified, applied to different circumstances, placed into a sequential order that follows of essentially a, a Jewish lex, lexicon, a, excuse me, a, a Jewish lectionary. And you're seeing that that is, that is what John is. All of these discourses are essentially sermons. They begin with a kernel or a nugget that goes all the way back. They have interpretation, expansion, and interpretation on the expansion, which we saw that here in John 10. We saw that back in John 9 with the story of the, of the man who is uh, born blind and then healed. Uh, we, we see that even further back in 8 with these, with these um, you know, skip past the, the woman caught in adultery because that really doesn't belong here. But with these discourses that you have in here, you have all of these, these, these elements that, that are interpretive upon something that Jesus did or said and then reflected upon, applied in various settings to various circumstances that the church is facing, and then expanded and reinterpreted yet again. These are sermons that are essentially tied together. And earlier on, you had all that front-loading of all these affirmations about <coughs> Jesus' identity. Remember that? All that front-loading? All that stuff was necessary to stick in first to get out there because we're getting ready to talk about what this guy <laughs> who we identified with all of these titles in the first two chapters said and how to understand what he said and apply what he said. And all that information is assumed. The audience of John as a gospel, of John as a gospel, is the church and those who are in it and any who are coming into it who are learning it. The, the earlier layers where sometimes Jesus is speaking to Jews, well, yeah, he's talking to Jews. 
And yeah, he's talking to Jews who aren't going to be Christians in some cases. And then the interpretation takes it in. Okay, now how does this apply then to other settings? And hence you get an expansion and an interpretation of it. And then as time goes on, the focus becomes, you know, what, what you get here in, in chapter 10 when you have him say to these Jews, Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? He's almost standing, he not almost, he is standing off from the Jews now in this argument with these Jews. But it's an argument with these Jews for the church to hear that builds up the church's faith and the church's understanding that yes you've got these sheep who were Jews following their shepherd their good shepherd Jesus and there was this these other sheep who aren't part of that flock who hear the voice of Jesus and accept him as their shepherd and follow him and now we've got one flock made up of two groups two different kinds of sheep but both have in common the hearing of the shepherd's voice and you have one shepherd and one flock. And all of that kind of feeds in to what he is saying here and, 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 and how it's being applied. I don't know that I would take that as, as it's just two distinct groups though. I would take it that, that he's saying, okay, you know, there's another group. So the other group may not be what you are, but they may be very diverse. So it's anybody that's not you. The rest okay, of the you're rest doing of exactly the what, what you're doing exactly what John does. You're taking the statement and now saying <laughs> this applies even beyond that position, yeah. that historic situation. There's nothing wrong with it. That's exactly what the church has always done. It's what I do when I stand up in there and preach. I'll take a passage of the scripture. I'll interpret it, give it its context and setting, and then give it an application for today, if hopefully, that applies today. Like the question I asked last Sunday, how do we address these things, these, these evil events like the shooting that occurred last weekend? I missed. That's okay. <laughs> how, do we, how do we address it? How do we face it? We face it with the one who was baptized for us. Jesus. And in that grace and in that presence, well, that's taking those passages, the stories of the baptism of Jesus, and applying it to our setting today. Now, did Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in their tellings of these stories have that in mind? No. But my interpretation of the situation has been informed by it. That's what we got in John. As the layers of the life of the church have moved forward from the 30s to the 40s and from the 40s to the 50s and the 50s to the 60s and the 60s to the 70s and the 70s to the 80s and the 80s to the 90s. Throughout the history of the churches as they have experienced their various influx of Gentiles and then influx of Jewish Christians being thrown out of the synagogue and their bitterness over that. and There's a lot of that going on in here. And as you have all the persecution of the church and the various times by the Roman authorities and you have the various interpretations of the various Christian groups like the Pauline group and the Petrine group and the Jehanine group and they're all kind of mixing together, you get these, you get John. 
That's how John came to be. And as you read through like we did in chapter 10, you can, you can be struck by a very early layer in the story about the gate and the shepherd and that initial interpretation and application. And then suddenly you get this thing out of the blue. It doesn't seem to be occasioned by anything. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. It, it sounds like somebody was thinking, okay, well, yeah, there was the sheep in the fold, the sheep, the Jewish people who then hear the voice and they follow their Messiah. But what do you do about the others who are outside the fold? Well, there are other sheep that will also hear his voice. And when it says hear or listen, it means more hearken to, respond to, react to. Not just hear it, but listen as in to take it, hear it, and apply it, my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So from other places, here come other sheep who have this in common. That's that. And it, and it sits there, and it almost... It almost doesn't belong, but you can kind of see how it appears. Because someone hearing this or reading this, way before it gets written down here, says, well, there are the sheep, but I was born a Gentile. Well, I'm the other sheep that also heard his voice and followed him. Well, everybody may not hear the voice the same way, but mm. the fact is that they hear it. Mm. And they may not all interpret it the same way, okay. but they still heard it. Oh, yes. And, and that's what gives us the, all the common. The diversity of interpretations mm -hmm. that do seem still to converge. They do. That's what John does. Actually, this is a fabulous point a stopping point too because now we move into toward the, the end with chapter 11 with the, with the raising of Lazarus we now move on we're out of the signs now we're out of that period of the discourses and the signs and now we're going to move on with the raising of Lazarus listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.